Creative Recovery is a community of artists, healers, activists, entrepreneurs, and anyone seeking to nourish a creative relationship to life. In this podcast, we explore creativity as an agent of healing and social change. I'm your host, Brenna, a writer, editor, and coach. Join me as I step into conversation with people of diverse backgrounds and identities committed to creative living. Are you feeling stuck, unfulfilled, or uninspired? Creative Recovery offers tools and practices to help you cultivate your authentic voice and support your mind, body, and spirit in service of creative aspirations. Whether you want to write a book, start a business, or cultivate more curiosity and compassion, the process of creative recovery will help anyone tap into their inner resources and live a life of presence and joy. Welcome to Creative Recovery Podcast. I'm your host, Brenna, and I'm really honored and excited today to welcome my guest, Werner Sun. Werner is a visual artist who lives and works in Ithaca, New York. His work has appeared in such venues as the Memorial Art Gallery of the University of Rochester, Aeon in New York City, Manifest Gallery in Cincinnati, Ohio, and the Islip Art Museum. His essays and images have been published in the Brooklyn Rail, Interalia Magazine, and Stone Canoe. He's the 2019 recipient of the Aeon Q Artist Empowerment Award from the Q Art Foundation, as well as a 2017 recipient of a Strategic Opportunity Stipend from the Community Arts Partnership of Tompkins County, New York. Werner recently completed a sculpture commission for the Cornell University Botanic Gardens that is currently installed in the Nevin Welcome Center. So welcome, Werner. Thank you so much. It's great to be here. Really excited to talk to you today. So how about if we start with you just telling us about yourself and your creative pursuits? Sure. So I am an artist who works with digital images and folded paper. And often what I like to do is I'll take a photograph and turn it into a digital composition, either with commercial software or software that I've written for myself. And then I will print these images out on paper and then I'll fold them into these three-dimensional patterns. And I do have a background in physics, but I'd say that I always have had an artistic outlet like this. For a long time, that outlet was music. And this was all throughout my childhood, throughout college. And while I really loved making music, especially making music with other people in ensembles, what I came to realize is that I'm not so much into the performing of music, performing for an audience. And so I started moving from music into visual art, which I really approach as a different kind of performance. And so that's a way of saying that when I'm making art, what's most important to me is really the process. It's the creative process that I'm most interested in experiencing and trying to understand for myself. And so that's, yeah, that's just the way I approach creativity in general. Tell me about your creative process. Yeah. So I think creativity, basically, I live to be creative and I'm unhappy and restless whenever I'm not being creative, if I'm not working on a project or if I'm just not fooling around in the studio. And I think creativity shows up both in my art, but it's also there in science because when I'm doing, or when I was doing research, I'm not currently actively 
doing research in physics. But when I was, the fun part was really the problem solving. It was trying to figure out how to write computer programs to analyze the data in interesting ways, how to reveal some new fact about nature. And so it's taking the materials that you've been given, whether that's a data set in science or photographs that I work with in art, and just trying to make something out of it without having some preconceived notion of what I want the outcome to be. I find that what really releases creativity is not having an end goal in mind. You can have a general direction in mind, but if you're too focused on what you want to get out of it at the end, I find that just doesn't allow your materials to speak. That's so well put. It it evokes like this process as play. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, that's a great way of putting it. Is that sort of yeah, how it feels to you? It does. So I, yeah, there's an element of play because you're putting all your cards on the table, putting all the pieces down, taking this holistic look at them and just asking yourself, what can I do with all of this? And I'll start exactly playing around, moving pieces around, or just trying new things and, and paying attention to it along the way to see if there's anything interesting that pops up because I can't predict what the interesting thing will be. It has to come out of the process itself. And so if I'm paying attention and then something catches my attention, catches my eye, that's something that I'll grab onto and amplify as I go along or try to build into, becomes the starting point of exploring further. So it's really a fluid process. And it's that unexpected nature of that process that really gets me going. I love that. that. Makes it feel alive. I love that. And I love your um, focus on attention and presence because I think, yeah, part of the creative process does, it involves a lot of play. It involves a lot of the unknown and it does involve, it requires presence and attention. And these are all kind of qualities that, in many ways as adults, I think we have to work to cultivate. Yeah. <laughs> they were there when we were kids and we sometimes they they slip away a little bit with just the daily responsibilities sure. of being an adult. How do you keep how do you keep play and presence a part of your way of being? Yeah, to make an admission. <laughs> I'm really a perfectionist at heart. I really fear change. I like having predictability. Uncertainty is really uncomfortable for me. But at the same time, I real I recognize that life is that's life. Life is uncertain and part of the beauty of life is that it's uncertain and that there's room for growth. And so I feel like my creative pursuits is where I can allow uncertainty to take place and be comfortable with it. It is this sort of safe space where it's okay to just let things happen. And it's okay to not know what's coming next. It's okay not to have a plan. And so that's how I find my balance. If I didn't have these creative pursuits, I would just be obsessing about everything all the time and making art making music in the past is where I could just be myself because the play is, is liberating really. Yeah. It sounds like it's very therapeutic for you. Exactly. Yeah. So I'm, I, I'm really interested in this idea of our creative pursuits also serving our 
life and our, our way of living. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit about how therapeutic being creative is for you and helping you to explore the unknown. And I'd love for you to talk a little bit more about how your work has served your personal healing and growth. And you can, you know, feel free to give some examples of some specific pieces in particular that you were working on that had just perspective shifted, shifted your perspective or shifted something in you inside, like emotionally. Yeah. Well, one, one project that, that really where I did feel like I discovered something new was this recent commission that I completed for the Cornell Botanic Gardens. And so the story behind this is the Cornell Botanic Gardens commissioned me to create a sculptural installation to accompany a climate change conference that was based on the research of Professor Karim Ali Kassam at Cornell. And what I was given was this trove of images, thousands of images from indigenous and rural communities, both in the Pamir Mountains in Central Asia and also around North America. And so I was asked to work with these photos to create an installation that would represent Professor Kassam's research. This is something that I never really did before. I usually work with my own photos. And so taking someone else's photos and, and doing them justice was a real challenge to me because as a scientist, I know how important it is for one's research to be understood and how easy it is to misinterpret one's research. So I felt this obligation to just to present these photos in their original form. But at the same time, the way I work is all about transforming my source material. I take photographs, I print them out, and I fold them up almost um, to make them unrecognizable, but it's really about transforming them in, so you can see them in a different way. And so I really struggled with using my usual techniques and I felt that I had to invent something new for this project. And that kept, that blocked me for a long time. And there was also the fact that the commission was for a set of mobiles, which is a, a form that I hadn't worked with for a long time. It was before I started working with images, I was making these aluminum mobiles, Alexander Calder's work. So these were flat metal shapes painted and suspended in the air. And I moved away from that around seven years ago. And I never really, and I just went off in this different direction using paper and images. So there were these stumbling blocks really for me um, approaching this project. And, and it was when I was, talking with my project manager at the Botanic Gardens. His name is Jay Potter. He's also an artist. And just discussing this with him and telling him my reservations about how to handle this material. And his advice was perfectly natural. It was, Werner, we commissioned you to do this project because of who you are and because of what you do. So just do what you do. And really, that just unlocked it for me. I was given the permission to apply my usual processes to start the way I normally would, which is just playing around with these images, right? So the block was, I felt like I couldn't play around with these images because they were already something in and of it themselves. And so what I was doing then, what I was able to do then is to take them out of their original context play with them so that they made sense to me, but then to reinterpret them, put them back out in the world after I had reinterpreted them in a way that also honored the original images themselves. 
And I have to tell you, that's a process. That's always a process and it takes time. And it's not something that you can will into the work. It's something you have to allow it to happen. And so I find that time and patience is a lot of a big part of my creative process as well. Any piece that I make starts from an image that I might've taken five or 10 years ago. And it's just been sitting around waiting for me to have the right idea of how to work with it. And so just to switch gears a little bit, making work that is about climate change was also a challenge for me because I don't, up to now, I haven't really explored social issues in my work. It's I, the work that I make is almost purely abstract. It doesn't have a narrative to it. It's not discursive. It doesn't have a message. And I think if you think about work that has social message to it, it's most often associated with the sort of art that, that has a narrative. And so moving from something that's purely abstract into something that relates to an issue in the larger world was another leap that I had to take, another reason that I was, I was hesitant about this project. But what I found by making this installation is that it is possible to work with materials in a way that addresses my core interest in pattern and, and folding and geometry, but that also refers somehow to the outside world. And this is a real, this is a revelation to me that I'd always thought of myself as a purely abstract artist. And now I'm realizing that I can take the techniques I've been building up over these years and layer on something else that comes from the outside world. And that actually enriches the work by giving it another context, by giving the geometry and the folding, it gives it another context that puts it out in the world in a different way than it used to. So this is a new direction that was unlocked by this chance commission from the Cornell Botanic Gardens that I'm hoping to explore in the future. That's such an amazing story of just facing multiple challenges that really stretched you beyond your normal process and almost and created a lot of self-doubt and fear and yeah. and really moving through that process has completely changed you as an artist and that's and do you feel like it's changed you as a person too I think it has but it's also tapped into something that's been um brewing for a while. The past two years have been so mm. difficult and the social unrest has just been so upsetting yeah. that as an artist, I think every artist feels this way, but that you feel like you have to address it somehow. Yeah. That how can you, with all of these problems in the world, how can you not address them in your work? That's the way I was beginning to feel over the past couple of years. And so... In a way, this commission came about at the right time for me to be receptive to opening up my work to address these larger issues. And it's, like I said, it's by showing me a way of doing that in my work, it's also influenced how I see the world in general and how I can have a different kind of presence in the world. Yeah. Yeah, that I've heard that from a lot of artists that I've talked to about in the last season of Creative Recovery. I talked to a spoken word artist who 
is also a poet and was starting to put together this poetry collection before the pandemic. And when the pandemic hit, he was just like, I just have to totally pivot. And he paused for a while and it took time. The whole publication got pushed another year or two out and he felt like he had to pivot and speak to the moment and didn't quite know how to do that. And started experimenting with just posting things on social media to address the immediacy of things and uh, posting some of his poetry there. And yeah, it really changed his process too. And it's interesting that conversation brought up this tension, which I'm curious to hear your thoughts on too, which is sort of the patience that is required of creative process, which is huge. Maybe you take a photograph and then five years later, you actually do something with it because you weren't ripe for engaging with it at that time beyond just taking the photo. And so this respect and honoring of the time it takes to really create something, but then also balancing that with speaking to the urgency of the now with whatever is going on either internally or in society. And I'm wondering how you think how I'm wondering what your thoughts are about that tension. Yeah. That's a great question. And even how, how I'm curious how long you could even talk about it in the context of this installation, like how long, I'm curious how long it took you and did, yeah. Yeah. The installation. So Jay Potter and I, we started talking about the installation actually before the pandemic in maybe half a year before the pandemic. And, and at that point, the conference that it was destined for, that it was meant to accompany was going to happen in the middle of 2020. And so it was only a few months away. And of course, the conference got put back, pushed, and it kept getting pushed back. And every time it got pushed back, I breathed a sigh of relief because I, <laughs> I still could not, after a month, I still could not envision what the project was supposed to look like until finally, it was March of this year, March of 2021, that the final date for the conference had been set. It was actually going to happen and I would actually have to complete this commission. And that is when things started clicking into place. So for me, actually having a deadline, knowing that someone is going to look at your work and engage with it, and knowing that I have to communicate with an audience, that's what spurs me to, um, that's what spurs my creative process. Yeah. I find it very hard to just have freeform play. I know we talked about play as a crucial ingredient in creativity, but if it's completely freeform, I'm at a loss. Mm -hmm. There are just too many possibilities. So not only do I need play in my process, I need some sort of constraints. Yeah. I need boundaries, a, a system to work inside. And I guess then for me, the place where creativity flourishes is like I said, within a system, it, you know, if you have a system in place, but within the system, you get to do whatever you want because the system gives you the freedom to do whatever you want in a way. Yeah, this is interesting. I haven't really thought about it in, in quite these terms. I love the way you answered that. I relate to it a lot as a writer. As you said, the possibilities are over, can feel overwhelming. I could write about anything in any form. And so I find that my writing really flourishes when I'm in a class or I'm taking a, like a writing class and I have constraints put upon me. I, I write nonfiction. So nonfiction is often written in the first person, the kind of nonfiction I write, which weaves personal and research. 
but I had, a, I took a class recently where we were supposed to cast ourselves as a character in our own narrative and tell a personal story in the third person. And I was like, I don't want to do that. Like I don't write in the third person. <laughs> so initially I was resistant to that constraint, but oh my gosh, the story that came out was it, it just, it flowed so naturally and organically and playfully within that constraint. I was so surprised, so pleasantly surprised. Mm -hmm. And I really haven't, the pandemic also for me as a writer has been, there's been a lot of blockage with, okay, I don't, how, what, there's just so much happening that's so intense and is changing so rapidly that it's just hard to grasp on to how to explain have an authentic expression of my perspectives of what's going on. And it was really, it was just so refreshing to, to have that constraint. And it really opened up this, it opened up so much for me in terms of being able to discuss and talk about things that I've been struggling with the past couple of years that I just didn't know how to enter that that subject. Mm -hmm. Grief being a big part of kind of the theme. Yeah. I'm, I'm curious to pivot a little bit and I would love to hear your thoughts on just like authentic expression. Like what does that mean to you and how has art and your, your process served as a vehicle for expressing your own truths? Mm -hmm. Yeah. It's interesting that you bring that up. I, I would say that authenticity is is the quality that I value the most in art. And, but at the same time, I find it really hard to define. I know it when I see it, but I think of it like the way a work, a piece of work has an inner spark that it's not self-conscious about what it's saying, that it's not mannered, that it really comes from the heart. And I think you can tell when a piece of writing or an artwork comes from the heart. And I think the most, important ingredient into getting to that that spot is even if you have something that you want to say if you have if you do have a message that you're trying to convey it's it's a process of taking that message internalizing it within yourself so that it makes sense to yourself so that you own it and then when you put it back out into the world that allows you to communicate it with passion with a genuine passion that reaches other people. So actually, I guess I'd say authenticity, there are two parts to it. There's the way that the artist puts it out there, but also the way the listener or the viewer receives it. It's yeah. a two-way street. An expression is authentic if it truly conveys what you're saying and it reaches the person you're saying it to. That's so beautifully put. I love this idea of us humans as these sort of like little trans formational machines where you're putting in input. It's almost like the process of eating. It's like you're putting in something, you're digesting it and you're releasing it and in a different form. It's, it's yeah. really, or the way plants take in all the nutrients. That's maybe a better metaphor. <laughs> the way plants take in a lot of nutrients and it becomes flowers. And yeah, I love that. And I also love what you said about the connection piece too. I think that, yeah, it's, I also like struggle with it. what is authenticity. I don't know it unless I feel it. And it is, I think it's a big part of really effective work and really powerful art, but it's, it is like the authenticity comes through in the connection between artist and receiver. There's something authentic that's conveyed 
that's personal. Yeah. That's often personal because it's your own perspective, your own take on an issue. And I think just to, just to refine it a little bit, maybe some an inauthentic expression might be when you just repeat what someone else has said without really owning it for yourself. Yeah. And so authenticity allows you to be yourself. And it, if we then think about it in terms of personal growth and being true to yourself, there's nothing more instrumental than being, than trying to be authentic. That yeah. if you're authentic, there's a sense of comfort that you have with yourself and you've let your insecurities go. You have exposed some core part of yourself for the world to see. And that vulnerability that you're putting out there is, is an act of generosity that you're inviting other people to receive. Hmm. I love that. And I think it's that vulnerability that, that makes people want to listen to you. Yeah. Otherwise, they're just being lectured to with someone else's words. Yeah. And I love your story about the commission because, and I'm using this kind of going back to that as a launching pad to sort of delve a little deeper into the, the idea of fear and doubt and the things that kind of limit our creativity. But it's interesting that they the people you were collaborating with, they really gave you permission to be your authentic self. You were, whereas you were like, I don't know if I can be my authentic self in collaboration with these images, but they gave you that permission to trust your process and play with it and explore that unknown. And in that you were able to be authentic, to really be who you are and, and personalize the work and be in dialogue with it, be in conversation with it. So yeah, I'm, I'm curious to hear more your thoughts on this doubt and fear that comes up and really limits our trust in our authentic self and our truth. And if that comes up for you a lot, or if you can even, if there was a time where it came up for you really strongly, it sounds like it did in this project. Yeah, right. In this project, it did come up for me. And for a while, it was, it was a blockage. It was paralyzing. But in the back of my mind, I knew that I would figure it out eventually mm -hmm. and that I just had to give it time. And so I, trusting in the process, trusting in the obstacles that you find that in the end, they are actually portals to further growth. Mm, um, very well said. It's not always that way. You have to practice at it. It's because I've been making art for so long that I knew what the creative process looks like and that I knew I could see that I was somewhere along the journey and that mm -hmm. there was an point that I would eventually be happy with. And I guess the trap is when you don't have that mm -hmm. vision of the way forward, that the paralysis then just stay and become consumed with it. So for me, um, when I'm being creative, that's, that is my authentic self. That's, that's the place where I feel the most free. And the creative things that I do have always been nonverbal because words do not come easily to me. And I always feel like when I'm using words, it's for a purpose. It's because I have to, it's using words is not where I um, do my play. And, but yet so much of our society is built on language and built on linguistic communication. And so there's this sort of discomfort that I'm always struggling with just being out in the world. And so that's why the, these creative pursuits are so important to me. 
that's where I feel like I can just not be verbal. It's okay to to express yourself without trying to say something. Yeah. And and that is where I guess my personal healing happens is in the creative pursuits. Yeah, but that's it's because yeah. I have this other part of myself that is that feels discomfort that needs healing. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. I love that. That that part of yourself that needs healing, that's acknowledging that and allowing that to be there is really what heals it and what yeah. releases it. I lately I've been doing a lot of just letting go. I do a lot of meditations, guided meditations, and there's one in particular that's just about letting go and physically, mentally, emotionally, just letting go. And one of the, there's a little bit of, there's always a wisdom incorporated into these meditations. And one of the, the phrases that keeps resound, like reverberating for me is letting go starts with letting be. And it really does. It's like that allowance of like, okay, I'm, I, I have challenge around communicating verbally and I'm just going to allow that to be there. And that, that opens up the gateway for healing through this, you know, creative process. That's really, I, I also just love that what you said about vulnerability being this generosity, this gift for others, like you, your work and how you're expressing yourself non-verbally is really, it's a gateway for other people to, to experience themselves that way too, mm-hmm. in the relationship with your work. That's, it's interesting. Cause like when I'm like, I'm curious when you're looking at a visual work, do you, what do you, like, what's your process? Just going to a gallery and looking at abstract art. Like, are, do you try to figure it out? Do you try to read about it? Do you, or do you just let it communicate to you in some nonverbal way? Yeah. It's all of those things. My approach to art is really a layered approach. I, I, so I think there, there. I've been thinking about the way I, I look at things for a while now, and it boils down to two ends of the spectrum. One is the intellectual side, where I try to analyze what I'm seeing and try to figure out how it's going on. Uh, try to figure out what's going on. If it's a, if it's a work of art, I try to figure out how was it made. I'm looking for the brush strokes in a painting. I'm trying to see what what colors were layered on top of which others but then at the other other end of the spectrum is exactly as you say just letting it be just letting yourself soak it in in a state of wonder at oh my gosh how it just all works together and has this effect on you that is greater than the sum of its parts and that is not an analytic way of seeing it it is a holistic way of seeing it but when i'm approaching a, a work of art I cycle between these two ends of the spectrum, like constantly. I'll I'll say, I'll stand back at first and say, wow, look at that. And then my next impulse is to say, gee, how does, why is it so effective? And, and then I'll move in closer and take a closer look at it and discover some really interesting details. And then I'll say, oh, but then I'll step back and see how those details work with what's around it, how it meshes into its context. So it's this constant back and forth between the analytic and for lack of a better word, the emotional or the mm-hmm. intuitive. And and that's what interests me about art, that it has these two elements that you can engage with at the same time. And coming back to, to science, science is is very strong on the intellectual aspect and on on the analytic aspect. 
And part of why I always had or have always needed an artistic pursuit on the side is that I, I don't respond to science with that holistic sense of wonder as strongly as, as with my intellectual side. Mm-hmm. And so the art is there, the art and music are there to nourish that, that intuitive part of myself, the emotional part of myself. The, at the same time, but there was always a but, at the same <laughs> time, I find that when I'm doing scientific research, so I'm not doing research actively right now, but when I did in the past, I always thought of my research projects as works of art. Yeah. That's how I, I or at least that's how I approached them. There would always be problems to solve. And in the end, they would be problems that you solve with your analytic brain. But the way you get, at least this is what I found, the way you get to the answer is by stepping back and allowing your intuition to kick into play, to kick into gear, rather. You close your eyes mentally and allow the answer to come to you. Is that that's the... Yeah. Oh, go ahead. And when that happens, you know, without realizing it, that it is the right answer. That's the equivalent to an authentic expression. Totally. um, In science. I'm curious, do you do that as a practice? Do you actively take a moment and like almost a little meditation? Is that actually a practice? Cool. Yes. Yeah. If I'm banging on um, a scientific problem and the answer just isn't coming to me, I know I have to step back Mm. and take a moment, take many moments and be patient about it. Yeah. And allow your brain to see the problem in the right way. Yeah. Yeah. And sometimes things just need to marinate too. And and they come to you in odd moments when you're cleaning or gardening or what. And it's, there's, I I love that interplay of the conscious mind and the unconscious mind, which I see that kind of working in that process. Sometimes you have to just work it out on a deeper level than, you know, your conscious mind can access. Mm -hmm. So yeah, I I think that's really good guidance for anyone who's stepping into a creative process and feels stuck. I'd love to, so I really loved what you said, just harkening back to the idea of doubt and fear. I, I loved what you said about just you've been an artist for a while you've been making your work for a while and so you've had a lot of opportunities to face that doubt and fear and so you in this especially recent commission you were you just knew it was going to work out you knew eventually it was going to work out I'm wondering like even early on in your career as an artist what was your relationship to fear and and how has it changed Hmm. fear and doubt I guess this goes back to when I was a musician. Throughout my childhood and high school, I my primary instrument was the piano. And the piano is a really lonely instrument. Most More often than not, you're playing by yourself. You're playing solo. You're alone up there on the stage. And at some point during high school, I would... I started having these memory slips. You're expected to play play from memory. And I it just happened occasionally at first that I would just blank out and not know where I was and what I was supposed to be playing next. And then of course that got more and more common as mm-hmm. I began to fear this fear having memory slips. It it becomes a there's a snowballing effect to that. And and to an extent, I never got over that, that this fear of forgetting, which is just completely paralyzing when you're on stage, 
it's being caught naked and completely exposed and not having any word. And that is, I'm sure that's part of why I don't really enjoy performing so much. There is this, I find that the, the setup of a performance being up there on stage in front of everybody, that's actually a barrier for my authentic expression. Mm -hmm. That that performative, the setup of a performance blocks me from reaching an audience, actually. And I guess I've never really gotten over that. But the way I pivot around it is by just switching to a different medium, by having switched to visual art. Yeah. Where I feel like I can reach an audience in a different way just with a different different performative setup. Mm -hmm. I'm still performing, but more on my terms, yeah. more on my own terms, and in a format that, that I feel is more intimate. That's really what I'm searching for when I'm uh, making art, is this intimate connection with some other person. And for a while, I did have that with music. But this this occurrence of memory slips just made that impossible for me. And so I will say, after I, in between being a pianist and making visual art, I was very involved in in choral music, both as a singer and as a conductor. And that was a much more fulfilling way of making music for me. It was more collaborative. It was there was this intimacy between the performers themselves, which translated for me into an intimacy with the audience. Yeah. And I think the way I found these solutions for myself, found these ways of, of establishing that connection it has to do with my own inner need. It's not, it's not that I'm making work or performing for its own sake. It's that I'm unconsciously, and I'm only realizing this just now, Yeah, that I'm responding subconsciously to this inner need that I have for for connection. Yeah. I love, it sounds like in both in your um, journey as a musician and also in your current, the way you approach doubt in your current uh, work as a, as an artist, visual artist, there's an, in both cases of the stories that you shared, there's like this honoring of the fear. It's okay. The fear is there rather than a, maybe there's a lot of negative self-talk that's like, I should just push through and do this or be that. But it's like, it sounds like you really honored the fear and you're like, okay, like I have this fear comes up all the time for me. And maybe this isn't, maybe it's guiding me into a more authentic way of communicating with people, a more, which you're saying, you said yourself is like more intimate to you and more and more it's on your own terms. It's not that it's more comfortable. It's just, it's more, it's, it actually is more authentic. Yeah, I relate to a lot of what you said because I'm a former dancer and I, struggle. That is a way that I express myself through movement, but it, performing was always very difficult for me. And, and, and it was, I didn't feel like that was like, it was very authentic. I, I felt there was that barrier too, with the stage and, and I've found that ways of expressing myself through writing or through visual art is, is actually in many ways, a lot more authentic. And the movement is really more a per it's like a it's an intimate experience with myself and mm -hmm. so for me dance is still a form of expression and I still do it but I don't like to and I do it pretty much every every week I dance on my own but not I don't like performing with I don't like dancing 
as a performance with my, my body communicating things to people. I prefer to communicate to myself with my body and to other people with words or collage art or whatever. But it was hard making, navigating why that was like, is it that I'm afraid and I'm just moving away from my fear? Or is it that I'm actually trying to, I'm trying to express my, I can be more authentic in a different medium. And it's maybe it's both. Yeah. For a while, I thought I was giving up on myself. Yeah, totally. Um, and and maybe that ha- is why I'm so driven to be productive in my artistic practice. It's all just allowing those kind of shadow sides of ourselves. Yeah. It's re- and that they're gateways into new ways of being. They really are. It everything is every challenge, every darker shadow side. It really is a portal into a different way of being. And I think a lot of your story and what you've shared, I think is really highlights that. And it's very admirable too. It's not an easy thing to, to be aware of obstacles and challenges and fears and doubts and, and trust that, that moving through them is where the answer is really is like where the solution is. It's not. Yeah. yeah. I think being aware is really important. Um, Yeah. it's giving it a name. It's mm. being able to say, this is not my identity. This is my, my shortcomings do not define me. Yeah. Right? They are part of me, but they're not who I am entirely. Yeah. And, and so I can use them, choose to use them in a productive way. Yeah. And, and I also think I always remind myself of just holding it all in, in a compassionate perspective or like in a compassionate space, because yeah, I think there's just, there's so much criticism of our, what we think of as our shortcomings. So I'm curious, just pivoting from the shadow side and the challenges and limitations, what inspires you and what kind of fulfills your creative spirit? And you can also touch on things that you do to spark that creativity, like practices or routines. Yeah. We talked about presence before and I find that what inspires me is is the little things just being alert to some interesting details that are around me and I get inspired to make work by starting to make work it's the work itself or it's the process of making work it's the Mm -hmm. creative process itself that is inspiring and is that a daily practice for you that you or like, do you 9am, this is my creative time, or is it just more organic? It, it is very much organic. I don't, I'm not in the studio every day. There are long stretches, like right now when I'm between projects and the ideas are just floating around, brewing, waiting to come out at some point. And so in those times, I'll be more focused on my day job or some other interests that I have. But at some point, I'll just go into the studio I'll start with one of these photographs that I've taken five years ago. Start playing around with it on the computer and I'll say, oh, that's interesting. Let me print it out. Let me bring it downstairs. Let me start cutting it up and folding it and see what happens. And then that will jog thoughts of where to go next. So I approach my creativity with, it's an open book or it's an unwritten book. I, I don't have a destination in mind when I get started. And that's where the interesting things can happen. 
I love how, yeah, it's very inspiring how inspiring your process is for you. <laughs> um, you know, <laughs> it really is. Cause I, I, I know a lot of myself and a lot of art artists get stuck with like just focusing on the product. I think that's just so common. And especially in a capitalist culture where that's what we're being conditioned to believe is of value is the product just returning to the process. And it really is, that is the inspiration. That is the, that's where the value is really. And the communication, it's all in that process. Yeah. I really like how your, your practices and your kind of organic way of going through these cycles of going into the studio and, and playing around and getting inspired as you do that. And then just some periods of dormancy too. Right. I think that's I think that's really important that that you honor that. And that's part of the whole process too. It's not just right. the process isn't just the process of making something. It's it's the whole process of living with your work and those periods of dormancy too. So that being said, what is something that you're working on now that you're excited mm -hmm. about or even just thinking about that you're excited about? Because you said you're in between projects. Curious yeah, what yeah. this... Or, and is this kind of a more dormant phase for you? And what does that look like? Yeah, it's hard to say. It, it, I, I am dormant right now, but I, tomorrow I might have a brilliant new idea for uh, what I want to do next. I think what I'd like to look into is working on larger scales. This commission for the Botanic Garden, I was given an entire atrium um, <laughs> of the Welcome Center to work with. And just working on that scale is once you do it, it's hard to go back. Once you start working large, it's hard to go back. And every artist says this almost. And so I'd really like to do more site-specific work, have work on projects where you're in dialogue with the building or with the surroundings and making work that both blends in, but speak, also speaks to it and, and has some sort of interaction with its surroundings. And, and I, yeah, I just think that would be a really interesting direction to pursue. I love that. I think, yeah. I think longer term, I this marrying of intellect and emotion is is has been a long-term goal is is the the star in the distance that I'm always aiming towards and it's the metric by which I I judge my own art and having found this way of marrying the sort of geometric abstract vocabulary that I have with with broader issues that we're all dealing with is something that I want to keep exploring in the future. I love that so much. When you said when you said you're really excited about playing more with the space that your work is in, it reminds me of Storm King. Have mm. you been to Storm King? Yes. Yeah. Yes, and, I love that place. Yeah. And just some of the work that Andy Goldsworthy does too in nature, where it's just the environment, it's all this play with the environment and the space. And yeah, I'm really excited to see what you do. So where can we find you? Uh, where can, you know, listeners, if they want to follow you or get to know you better, where's the best place to find you? So the best place to find me is online uh, at my website, which is www.warnersun.com. And we'll put all that in the um, show I'm, notes. Okay, great. And I'm also on Instagram. Uh, my handle is Werner Sun, all one word. Cool. Thank you so much. This has been an incredibly inspiring conversation and such a gift of wisdom and guidance for our listeners. So thank you so much for your time. 
Thank you so much, Brenda. It's been wonderful talking to you. (laughs) Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for tuning in to Creative Recovery. If you'd like to learn more about the podcast or my coaching and workshop offerings, please visit brennacoaching.com or DM me on Instagram at brenna.ef. If you enjoyed this episode, please subscribe to the podcast and leave a rating and review. It helps grow this community and serve more people. Thanks for joining me on this creative journey of discovery and transformation.